Well, we, we're a few minutes early, but uh, that's okay. Maybe we, we can end a few minutes early as well. No, that ain't happening. You know, we got, no, it's, just gives us a few more minutes to talk about this stuff. Um, but seriously, I, I want to do it. I, there's a part of me that doesn't even want to do this class right now. I, I think there, I think there's a, we heard a prophetic message tonight that we need to just kind of sit in and let it sink. Um, I, you know, Sarah, when I was look, watching Sarah and listening to her, uh, just so um, grateful, grateful for her. Uh, she used to babysit my son, who, who died in 2000, uh, 2001. But she would baby, he, uh, she and John would babysit Joshua uh, for Barbara and I. And um, it, it was a tough job to babysit Joshua. Um, one time, um, they came, they were, we came home and they were just all, oh, oh, you know, they were all kind of spin out, you know, just tired. And, Whoa, what happened? You know, what's going on? Well, my son Joshua, when he, would, when he was like uh, eight years old, he was, he was like two years old in his mind, but eight years old in body. And um, when he would use his diapers in, uh, you know, number two, you know, um, he would sometimes take them off and just throw it around the room, you know. And uh, he apparently had done that that night, and they had spent a lot of time cleaning up that, so... So, so when I look at her, my heart is with her, you know, my, I'm so just so grateful for her, and, and I, I, was, I spent a week with them in Uganda when they were there, and uh, I can look at that roof, I can, I can see it, and uh, just, just powerful. Um, but more than, more than her, for whom I'm grateful, uh, it was the Word. It was the Word. And if we, if we hear that, and we don't take that to heart and let that change us, transform us, then I don't know what prophetic word's going to do it. You know? I mean, that was a Nathan moment tonight when she pointed her finger at the system and said, you are the man. You know? And um, she didn't say it in exactly those words, but that, I, I heard that. I heard that. And uh, I see it in myself. And there's a part of me that just would say, let's just sit here and talk about that. Um, but I think I need to process it more before I talk about it. Um, but I just wanted to affirm her. And if you're listening on the iTunes cast, if you're, stop right now. Stop listening to this. And if you haven't heard that message, go listen now. And something I will listen to again. Bobby, you have anything you want to? No, I completely that? agree. Um, I, I felt like I was listening to a, a female Nathan talk to us and calling God's people to be people who see the unseen and to be on their sides. He, our Lord, our God, Yahweh, is always on the side of the Bathshebas of the world. And I think it's time for us to be on Bathsheba's side as well. So, and that's all I have to say. I, I was just touched and convicted, really. Um, and I agree, that is a calling. That is, the Holy Spirit was speaking through Sarah Barton tonight. That's what I believe. So. I also like to see that women, men come with women and have our Yeah. We, we have a comment from our group here that uh, we'd like, it would have been, it would have been um, I don't know, helpful or just existential to be able to, to see how many women had experienced uh, assault or sexual pressure uh, in their lot, not only their lives, but in their churches, in their churches. Yeah, that would, I think we'd have seen a lot of hands if, if people were 
vulnerable enough to raise their hand and you know yeah So I, yeah, I'm sure uh, I can imagine, I guess, uh, that that would be uh, opening some scabs and triggering uh, for for many people. And um, so I'm grateful that they had counselors available and ways of ministering to people in that context. Yeah, no, wise, wise to have that available. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to do this? Yeah, they're here, so we got to do it. I guess. I mean, <laughs> um, but we, I, I, I just couldn't. I couldn't just pass over that moment. That, the way that that moment needs to be nailed down and as a marker, <coughs> as a marker. Um, but I want to say, I think that's partly the power of even some of the darker texts in the Hebrew Bible, mm. that they address the real world, that many times even religious people are, let me say, hesitant or embarrassed by. But as Sarah said in Uganda, the one that we wanted to ignore and um, kind of even be embarrassed by, she was the hero. Mm -hmm. And so putting ourselves in the actual context of scripture, um, these stories oftentimes are liberating gospel to people who have uh, been in that situation mm -hmm. and they can find healing and which is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of that's why I'm, I'm just going to say it. That's why I love the Old Testament. So um, it is yeah. so much God's word. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I hear that, and that's an important point. I mean, as long as we have a, a you know, we live in a broken system as human beings, as systems of power, as systems of politics and church and institutions. Um, so it's not surprising that there's an abuse of power, but it is a calling for us, right, and to, to address it and to be a model. Um, as hard as that is, I mean, and, and as difficult as it is, to be a to be a church, a place um, where we are sensitive to that, and we recognize the systems of power, we recognize the principalities and powers that are at work in our systems, and we address them, and we recognize that in Christ, um, God has overthrown those principalities and powers, and that, that we don't live by that system, you know. Uh, so that was, uh, uh, I told, I, I guess I told Johnny and others, uh, but I heard, a, I heard a Lipscombite, you know, there was a Lipscomb kind of voice in there about that kingly power. Oh, David yeah. Lipscomb was being reincarnated for a moment, <laughs> I thought, you know, but, uh, but that, was, that, was, that was powerful. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. To to repeat your comment for the for the sake of those who are listening, um, it's expressed that, um, that we're grateful that it was a woman who spoke into that, and that she could speak into it in ways that I could not, and it would be inauthentic in ways for me to speak into that. Um, but, but we heard authenticity in her voice, 
and in her own experience and, mm -hmm. and so on. And so that's that's really important. Yeah. And we're grateful that that opportunity Pepperdine, Pepperdine gives a, gave that opportunity for that voice to be heard. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Tiffany. Yeah, Tiffany. Yeah, I don't know if that one was taped, but this was Tiffany. It was taped. So Tiffany Dahlman, Dahlman. Uh, spoke this morning in uh, Stouffer Chapel, and it, and she did a, a wonderful job of talking about shame and dealing with shame, and uh, it was it was a powerful message as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Well, um, well I guess pray? we need to go. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go for it. We're going to yeah. go for it. But, yes, let's bring this before the Lord. And, um, oh, God, um, thank you for this day, for Tiffany this morning and for Sarah tonight. And for all the voices that we have heard um, but particularly the, these voices today from Tiffany and Sarah and, and the one we all heard uh, tonight in terms of Sarah. We are grateful. We're grateful for the gift you gave these women and the gift you gave Sarah. Grateful for the opportunity um, to hear that word from you. And we hear it as a word from you. For you spoke through her. God, you've, you've pricked my heart, and um, we pray that you will open up other hearts, that we will have a vision to see your unkingly power at work in our lives and in the lives around us, and that we will remember that you are the God of the oppressed. And that you sent your son to preach good news to the oppressed. And we need to be a church that welcomes and liberates the oppressed. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And form our hearts into your image. That we might be your witness in the world. Of what true power is rather than the abusive power so many experience in the name of jesus we pray amen are you starting sure okay <clears throat> second chronicles chapter 29 and 30 we're going to focus on chapter 30 it tells the story of a nation that has been reduced to such amazing insignificance. The northern kingdom has been obliterated, carried away in captivity. And the temple, which is the symbol of the relationship between God and his people, as we studied last night, it's not the relationship, but it is where God's name dwells with his people. And if you look at that, this is, we know God is with us. But it has fallen in disrepair. The people have committed adultery. And um, now the northern kingdom is just simply gone. And so Hezekiah is inviting the people to come to renew themselves, they rededicate the temple, and he is honored as a godly man. He is almost like a, a new David, another Solomon. He comes along, and, I've, and he calls Israel to come together, and he sends out envoys to the remnants of the northern kingdom to come and celebrate the Passover. And it says this hasn't been observed quite like this since the days of Solomon. And it hasn't been quite, it doesn't say it's never been observed. But I think it's really important at this moment just to remember, because the biblical writers oftentimes assume a great deal on our part. They'll say when, when a month is, like 
in Second Chronicles chapter 6 and 7, it's the seventh month. Well, we know that that's the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, the, the Jews know this. The Israelites know this. Just like when we say the 4th of July is when? In July, we know that's Independence Day. So the Passover, though, has this massive symbolic significance to the people of God. The northern kingdom has just gone into exile. And now we're going to celebrate the Passover that is what tells the story of God's liberation from slavery and out of the kingdom of death to tell the story of God's amazing grace of bringing the people out and constituting them as a kingdom. And he says, come back and remember the story. Come back and remember who we are. We don't have to be a nobody because God has delivered us with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. It's all his grace. The Passover has nothing to do with what Israel did. Exodus comes before Sinai. Okay? It's not some quid pro quo thing. Exodus comes before Sinai. God delivers Israel and he didn't ask them if he could do it. He did it. And he pulls them out. And now Hezekiah is inviting these people, most of them who are like the people in Egypt in the first place. They're basically pagans. That's who they are. And as we see and go through this story, we're going to see the remarkable, amazing, healing grace of the Lord that envisions not just grace for Judah, but... And I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but this is okay. It's going to be for all of Israel, including the aliens. So let's go on. Yeah. So when he decides to want to do this Passover, he's got a problem. Um, the cleansing of the temple, they're getting it ready. They're not ready. They don't have enough priests. They haven't sanctified enough priests. They missed the first month. They missed the month that it was the Passover was supposed to be held. And, you know, if you're a legal technical guy, uh, and if you're a person who just believes in technicalities, say, all right, we've got to wait till next year. We've got to wait till it rolls around again. But if you notice in verse 4 of chapter 30, it says the plan, that is the plan to hold the Passover in the second month instead of the first, which is not Torah, right? It's not legal, right? It seemed right. To the king and all the people. Mm -hmm. They discerned, God will be okay with this. Passover is more important than the technicalities of the, of the timing, you might say. And so in that moment, they send out word to all Israel. And that's in verse 5. You see the, that language that throughout all, all Israel. Israel from Beersheba to Dan. Which is um, a significant reference. Yeah. Go ahead. That's the classic extent of David's empire. You know, that's like this, from the way south all the way to the way north. This is all of Israel. This is the whole country. This is the, the stuff from David's time. And none of that is really Israel anymore. Of course, the Babylonians took care of that. The Assyrians took care of that. And now the Persians have taken care of that. So this is a symbolic reference. Go from there to there. It's like going from sea to shining sea and invite everybody, and the language makes it ex very explicit, all Israel to come. Because we're coming to the temple, and as we talked yesterday, that's like, it's the healing stuff. It's, it's all coming together. All right, go so, on. So in verse 6, um, he sends the letter out, and, and we get the letter. The letter is, is, is stated for us. And um, if you look in verse 6, these couriers go out through all Israel and Judah. And notice the address. O people of Israel, in verse 6, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, so that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Don't be like your ancestors. Listen, yield yourselves, he says in verse 8. And then in verse 9, and this is what is critical. Come back. Why? Will God take us back? Remember the chronicler situation, right? The question is, will God return? Will God 
heal? Will God receive us? Will God still like us and still love us? Is God still committed to God's promises? And the invitation in the letter recalls the promise of God. It recalls the identity of God. In verse 9, it says, For as you return to the Lord, your kindred and your children will find compassion from their captors and return to this land. And here's the reason. This is going to work because the Lord your God is merciful and gracious and will not turn his face away from you. Merciful and gracious. Where does that come from, Bobby? That's Exodus 34, verse 6. Mm-hmm. Um, two things. First of all, this goes back to Solomon's prayer in the sixth petition where if we go off into captivity and while you're there, you can pray and God will bring you back. And then Hezekiah, in his letter, refers to what I call the God Creed. And again, because Chronicles is written near the end of this, the whole storyline of the Hebrew Bible. He's got the whole Bible in front of him, okay? And he's referring to all these biblical texts all over the place, stuff that people use in liturgy all the time, all the time, and they, they know this stuff. And the, the greatest text that, he, that the Hebrews held on to, I call it the John 3.16 of the Hebrew Bible, is Exodus 34, verse 6. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. You know, I'm slow to anger. I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I'm full of hesed. That's, that's who I am. But what's going on there? Because it's not just an, an echo or a quotation of that, that text. It's, it's a text that tells the story of what God did when Israel was unbelievably unfaithful at the moment that they were created. God brought them out with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. That's what the story of the Passover tells. And they committed adultery on their husband while they were on the honeymoon with the bellhop. (laughs) And what is that? The golden calf. Exodus 32. This is our God. Who brought us out of Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt. He who brought us out of Egypt. (laughs) This is him. And of course, the Lord gets upset. And I have to tell you, I'm just going to throw... had to go through a divorce before I understood that text. Okay? Everybody says God in the Old Testament is just one pissed off God. They're nuts. I, I didn't say that word. He didn't say it. That wasn't, Bobby that wasn't Valentine me. said that. Okay? I'm, I'm John Mark Hicks. I teach for Lipscomb but, University. But that's, that's how I they read that. I didn't say that's that. That's how word. they read that. Okay. But I'm okay. telling that you. That was Bobby Valentine who said that word. <laughs> That's, that's what they, it's like, okay, people, I read that text the same way. God is so mad, God is so mad. But when the one that you have poured your heart out to, and you've married, and you love them, and you care for them, and then they humiliate you, they cheat on you, that is not being mad, pissed off mad. That's hurt. That's what that is. That is spurned love. And God reacts that way. And so then he says, well, Moses, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's how I can bless and keep my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses prays, just like Solomon tells the people to do. He says, forgive them. And God does. You read Exodus 32, 33, and 34. God forgives them. He says, I will do as you say. And then he renews the covenant. And then Moses says, reveal yourself to me. And that's when God says the God creed. And you can read that from beginning to end. Israel never offers a sacrifice. Israel never says, I'm sorry. Israel never repents. It's not there. Don't read it into the text. God forgave them because he forgives wickedness, rebellion, 
and sin. And now Hezekiah brings that up and says, we are in the same boat as our ancestors at the golden calf. We need God's grace and mercy, his hesed. And because we have the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and what? Israel. Israel. Not Jacob. Israel. At the golden calf. Mm -hmm. He will forgive us. And the first words out of God's mouth in that encounter with Moses after self-identification, I am the Lord, the first words are out of his mouth are gracious and merciful, which are the two words right here. that are here in Second Chronicles chapter 30. So it is recalling, just like if I were to say um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you would all know where that came from, right? You would all know the symbolism of that. You would all know the significance of that, the history of that. And the same is true here. To say the Lord is gracious and merciful, they know what, because yep. that's in their liturgy. They, uh, if you look at the Psalms, this is one of the more quoted sorts of things. You know, the loving kindness of the Lord, the chesed of the Lord, the graciousness, the, the uh, merciful character of God. That's all the way through the Psalms. And so this is part of yeah. the liturgy of Israel. They say this all the time in their worship. And so when the letter goes out to Israel, to all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, remember who your God is. Yeah. Come back. God will receive you. God loves you. God cares about you. God is merciful and gracious. God will heal you. Just come on back. And the response is only a few right. of the northern, yeah. only a few come in response to the invitation. Because sadly, we, I don't think we're any different than they were then. Sometimes we just simply don't believe. We just simply don't believe. Who is our God? Our yeah. God is Yahweh, Yahweh, mm -hmm. a God who's gracious mm -hmm. and merciful. Mm -hmm. Even when we have brought this death and destruction upon ourselves, and we live in shame, we live in our own sense of betrayal, and find ourselves for whatever reason maybe unworthy or whatever. Uh, I've lived with that before. I'm sure other people have as well. And the Lord comes on. The, the message here is, who is your God? Which is something that account. Chronicles holds out over and over and over. What Israel confesses in their worship is something that we Christians need to confess over and over and over. Our God is Yahweh. He's a God who is gracious and merciful. Yeah. This we, is... Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I no, it's just it's <laughs> fundamental. And yeah. I'm glad you did that. Apologize. Uh, Y'all heard him. That's all right. <laughs> well, this is scripted. You can tell. Um, the... Um, what you said a moment ago was, I think, right head on. We don't believe. We don't believe that our God is good. Yes. We don't believe that, he's, that God is good. I almost said he is good, and I don't want to say that. I want to say God is good, right? Um, it reminds me of, of the story in the shack. If those of you who've seen the shack or read the shack, you remember Matt gets stuck in the, stuck in, stuck in the great sadness. Right? And the reason Mac is stuck in the great sadness, as Sophia, this uh, female wisdom symbol, reveals to him, is the reason you, don't, you do not believe that I am good. You don't believe I'm good. If you believed I was good, you would trust me. If you believed I was good, you would come back to me. If you believed I was good, you would return. And I think that's kind of what what the Hezekiah is saying here to the people. If you believe the God creed, if you believe that statement of the identity of God, who God is, return and know that the goodness of God and the grace of God will flow over you. And this is part of the, that sense of identity of God, of who God is, is what's going to lie behind this, this prayer we're going to get to eventually, because it's a very short prayer compared to the other prayers the last two nights. This is just a two-sentence prayer. You know, it's a, it's a two-verse prayer. But it's a prayer that is rooted, rooted in this vision and understanding of the God who is gracious and merciful. And it is because we believe that God is gracious and merciful, we can... Make a, we can offer a prayer 
that doesn't even seem legally legit, right? Because and we know who our God is. And right? it's the invitation to come to this foundational festival. The Passover tells the story of the good God who looked out for the little nobodies, the exiles, the slaves, the people who were so insignificant that it was state law to, to slaughter their children and throw them into the, the Nile River. That's how insignificant they were. But God, our God, said, I see you. I see you. I'm bringing you out. Now the invitation is to come and be a part of this story, this dinner, this festival that tells that story. And by participating in it, we become a part of it. We do this every Sunday. Every time we come together, we are telling this story. You know, not just the Jesus story. The Jesus story is part of the Israel story, where God has always brought us through and sat us at his table and made us somebodies. We are now the children of God. That's who Israel is. Israel is my son, or Israel is my wife. Firstborn among the nations, right? Yes. Yeah. So as this invitation goes out and, and people respond, now, now we got a problem. Because when these northerners come from Zebulun and other places uh, in the north, when they come, they are not ready for the, for, the, for the process here. They are not consecrated. They're not sanctified. If you look down to verse oh, 18... It says, for a multitude of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. Or as the NIV says, outside the command. Contrary to the command. They ate contrary to the commandment. Hezekiah says, come on and eat anyway. I know you're not consecrated. I know you're not sanctified. I know we're not following the rules here technically. We, we're not doing it exactly the way the Torah says to do it. But I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. This is not right. book, chapter, and verse worship. Mm -hmm. This, is, I think, is so important to the chronicler. Uh, and, it's, and it shows, again, that this, this is not, and we talked about ritual last night, this is not ritualism. The call is that our hearts are seeking the Lord. Yeah. You, you people who are from Zebulun, Manasseh, and, and these others, Naphtali, that you have just the fact that you have made this pilgrimage to come back to the temple to seek, the, where, where's, where's the name? That's, again, the Psalms of Ascent, you know, that conclude the prayer of Solomon last night. Come, he is resting there. Well, we're going to come, and we're going to find what? We're, when we come into his presence, we find rest, too. When we enter his presence, we, too, will find healing. And I find it interesting that it starts talking about these people as being all Israel, all Israel, you know. Um, not some but all, now they are one. Even while they are, as we might want to say, uh, not according to the pattern. Another way of saying it, yeah. yeah. And it, clearly that's what we have here. We have a, a situation that is not according to the pattern, right? It's in the wrong month. There are not enough priests. They are not sanctified. They're not all sanctified. And then those who are actually eating at the table are not sanctified. Not many of them are not. Um, and why, you know? And if we have um, if we have a technical sort of God, if we think our God is is the one who who wants who is looking for the technicalities, uh, which is the way I grew up hearing about God. Now, you know, I'm not going to say that's what they said, but that's what I took in. I took in this technical God who is going to lay it down straight, and if you step over the line, I mean, you're done, right? 
And so, <clears throat> when we look at this text as a whole and we see all these violations of the Torah, what is it that gives Hezekiah the chutzpah, the, the boldness, the courage to pray the prayer he prays, knowing exactly where all the people are in terms of the relationship to the pattern? That's right. Yeah. And watch what he prays. This is in verse, oh, at the end of verse 18, he begins to pray. And Bobby, I'll read it, and you, I'll give you first shot at commenting on it. Um, but Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon all who set their hearts to seek God. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though they are not in accordance with the sanctuary's rules of cleanliness. All right. It begins by saying, the good Lord. This goes back to what John Mark was saying a minute ago. The basis of that, of course, is verse 9, that he is gracious and merciful. He's good. You know, if you come and you've made that journey and you just happen to, in the whole, and it's not just these folks from northern Israel. We have to remember that the, the entire thing is contrary to what was commanded. The wrong month, the, the priests, the Levites, none of those were exactly the way they were supposed to be. So, but they've, they've decided, they made this decision that they wanted to be on the Lord's side. That, that's significant, which is something that runs through the whole of Chronicles, and it uses the language here that if their hearts seek the Lord, which takes us directly back again to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, when the Lord said, if my people will seek me, they will what? They're going to find me, then I'll heal them. And we're going to find that out. And he says, the, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though not in accordance with the, with the commandment of the sanctuary or whatever, Hezekiah does not flinch in his faith. He does not say, well, maybe he doesn't. He, he has full confidence that the God he worships, the God of his ancestors, will not only say, yes, I'm going to give you a mulligan, he is going to embrace them as his people. And that's exactly what he does. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me extend this in a couple of ways. Um, I, I think the significance of this, this brief prayer is just, it's, it's symbolic of, of the essence of the whole story that Chronicles tells. Absolutely. That God seeks seekers. And God receives seekers. In their imperfections, in their brokenness, God seeks seekers. And that it's about the orientation of the heart, the heart that is set <clears throat> to seek God. And that that's rooted in the goodness of God. So it's the good God, the good Lord. This is the one who is merciful and gracious. So let me extend that in a couple of ways. Um, first of all, I think about what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 12, when he has this controversy about the Sabbath with the teachers of the law. And the teachers of the law want to condemn the disciples for their violation of the Sabbath. And Jesus says in chapter 12, verse 7 of Matthew, if you had known the scripture, if you had read the scripture, if you really knew the story, if you really understood the identity of God, if you really knew who God was, you would not have condemned the innocent. And then he quotes Hosea 6, verse 6. Yep, I desire mercy, not right. sacrifice. <clears throat> ritual was important. It's important. <clears throat> People have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. The ritual is important. The ritual does something. The ritual has significance. It has meaning. It has impact. It's worth the journey, right? Ritual is important. But you cannot exalt ritual over mercy. 
And if we read the scripture in such a way that God exalts ritual over mercy, or God exalts technicality over mercy, then Jesus says we're reading the scripture badly. We don't understand it. We don't understand who God is, if that's the way we read scripture. We don't understand God as well as Hezekiah did. Because Hezekiah knew, he understood Hosea, that God desired mercy rather than sacrifice. And, what, yeah, go ahead. No, and he did. He believed the ritual, the Passover itself, was important. But the participation of their brothers, no matter who they were and where they were from and whatever state of impurity they were in, it was more important mm -hmm. that they be at the table than excluded from the table. Mm -hmm. So the Which chronicler, is where mercy, mercy is at the table. Right? And the mercy yeah. is at the table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being included mm -hmm. is the mercy, that you mm -hmm. are actually part of Israel, part of God, that you have not been turned away that you are just like us Judeans, these Israelites were also accepted back by God because they sought Him. Hmm. And when they sought Him, they found Him. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, so we got to be very careful about who we exclude from the table, right? Especially with our technicalities. Yeah. We need to open the table for the mercy of God and for the goodness of God to be displayed and for the God, goodness of God to be experienced. But I want to extend this in another way as well. You know, and I think of, I think of my own history and my own way of thinking about this over the years. In John chapter 4, verse 24, you know, God seeks worshipers, right? Yeah. He seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that the way I heard that and the way I taught that for many years was, you know, that God wants us to worship according to the pattern, right? According to the truth. According to the, the pattern. pattern yeah. um, I think what we missed is that God seeks worshipers. And this is, this is the chronicler. God seeks seekers, right? God seeks worshipers. But what we did is, it's, or what I did at least, is I took that in the truth and I turned it into a technicality. Rather than seeing in the word truth the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the truth, yeah. right? He is the way, the truth and the life. And so God seeks people who are worship in the truth, not in the sense of a pattern, but in the sense of in the reality of the Spirit of God and the reality of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of a reorienting of the way we think about how we use rituals and how we use patterns and how we use technicalities. It's reorienting them toward the identity of God as opposed to the prescriptions on the books. Right. right. And that <clears throat> is what I think this story in Hezekiah is about, because I'm sure that we could imagine that all, this, all Israel is wondering, will God take us back? We, do we have to get this just right? I mean, maybe he'll send us out again. Maybe he'll, he'll punish us again. Or maybe, you know, God, we don't know what this God's going to do. You know, he's pretty, pretty fickle, this God. And, and Hezekiah's message to them is, no, he's not. He's gracious and merciful. He's good. God is good. And God will receive you if you will return. God will welcome you, despite the technicalities uh, of, the, yeah. of the prescriptions. The story of the Sabbath is the story of God healing God creating the world as the world was. That's one pole. It's the story of God redeeming. That's the Exodus chapter, I mean, Deuteronomy 5. Redeeming people and bringing them back. So creation and redemption. Passover does pretty much the same thing. It's telling the story of God setting the captives free, bringing them into a completely new relationship with Him. So the ritual proclaims the grace and somehow we can subvert that where the ritual that is supposed to pronounce the grace or or proclaim and preach it actually becomes an instrument of death just like in the story that concerns the sabbath day and jesus says no 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 no. the sabbath was made 
for the benefit of humanity. And when we turn it around, then it becomes an instrument of condemnation. But it was never given that way. But we have made it that way. And so Hezekiah comes back and he says, if you, if you seek him, he is going to hear your prayer in heaven. And he's going to heal our land, which is what he does. So the, the ending of this prayer then is that God heard and healed. Where does that come from? That's back at the temple prayer, right? Absolutely. Second Chronicles 6 and 7. God heard and healed. The boldness of the prayer. Can you just imagine yourself praying for someone? God, I pray for the redemption of this person. I pray that you'll accept this person's worship right here, right now, even though they have fill in the blank. Yeah. Even though they have not been baptized. Even though they have not been immersed. Can you pray that? Do you believe in the goodness of God enough to pray that? That's, that's what Hezekiah does here. That's the same sort of thing. And God is not upset with that prayer, right? God hears and heals. And then they all go to the table. And they eat and drink for seven days as a part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then they had such a good time, such a joy of celebrating life at the table with God, that they said, let's do it for seven more. Right? Which is exactly what they did with Solomon in his prayer. And then Hezekiah said, no, the Torah doesn't authorize that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the Torah is silent about an extra seven days. We can't, we can't do that. I mean, that would be to break the... They didn't do that, did they? It's not in the Torah, but he added it. How many times you heard, don't, don't add? You know, he added. Hezekiah added, and it seemed good to the people to add. Because the center of this celebration was not, okay, do we, do we have all the things lined up straight? The center of the celebration is we hurt God. We hurt God so badly, and we, we destroyed our witness to the world. We, we so messed up in our mission that God exiled us. But here in the exile, God says, I'm inviting you back. Come on back to the table. You don't have to be perfect. You know, just have your heart set on seeking me, and I'll receive you. And Jesus goes around inviting a bunch of people to sit down and eat with him. Especially in the Gospel of Luke. You ever notice that? He's just always telling stories about people going out by the highways and the byways and bringing people in, the rich and the poor and the powerful. And the powerful say, well, you know, i got other things going on. I can't quite come and sit down and eat with the king. These stories flow out of the history of Israel themselves. But this story that is, is concluding here in chapter 30 is characterized by, and we've already mentioned it, the great joy. The great joy is there because God has, in His grace, healed them. That's where our joy comes from. Our joy is a result that we know that God has healed us. God has forgiven us. God has come and brought justice and mercy and faithfulness to us. We didn't bring that to Him, and He made things right how was it made right? He has placed us in a relationship with himself. And when we sit down at his table, we are declared to be in fellowship with him. This goes again back to Exodus 24, and again right there in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and 7, the people sit down and they eat in great joy in the presence of the Lord. And what's so interesting here uh, is that it's not just those bad Israelites from the north. Mm. The text moves on again like in the prayer in Second Chronicles 6 and 7 that this temple is supposed to be a place of prayer for the nations and Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of priests. We see the aliens 
coming and participating and sitting at the table with the Israelites to eat. Notice what it says. I'm going to pick up with verse 25. Um, you want to pick, pick up earlier? 24, 25. Yeah. 25. Yeah, you want to yeah. read yeah. it? Yeah, that's what I was trying to tell you. Um, no, I'm sorry. Verse 25. The whole assembly of Judah, the priest and the Levites, there's the southern kingdom, right? And the whole assembly that came out of Israel, there's the northern kingdom. And who else is there? And the resident aliens who came out of the land of Israel, that came from the north too, that was resident aliens in the north get invited too. It's not just, well, we got these aliens here, what are we going to do? I guess we ought to let them eat. No, no, they, the resident aliens in the north are invited as well. And the resident aliens who lived in Judah rejoiced. Israel and aliens. Israel and us. Israel and those who don't belong, but yet are mm -hmm. invited to the table. Yeah. Because comment, comment on the alien comment, the idea there. I, I remember it was an epiphany, epiphany on me for one day. I was reading through the, the book of Deuteronomy, and, and which says a lot about aliens, and so does Exodus and other stuff. And I'm like, I was reading in the NIV for that day, and that uses aliens instead of resident aliens. And I was like, well, who are these people? Who are they? And I sat there, and I got out my map. You know, I turned to the back of my Bible, and I started looking, and I'm like, okay, so Israel is surrounded by Egypt. You got Moab and Edom and um, Syria. Syria and Lebanon. what we call Turkey and uh, or the Hittites and maybe a little further away the Babylonians and the Assyrians or the Persians way way far away so the, the options of who these people are is not very great and then you get your little smaller tribes like the those hard to the Girgashites and the Hivites and all those the, the, well who are these aliens the aliens is anybody who's not an Israelite. The alien is, if you read the history and you believe the text, these are the people who at one point or another have always been the enemies of God's people. Are you following me? They have been the enemies of God's people. They are the Canaanites that were supposed to be wiped out. But no, they were not wiped out. They were now come and they actually sit down at the table of the Lord with the Israelites to worship the one true God because Israel has received the grace and they're showing that off to everybody and say this is what it's like when we all come to God's temple and the world is back where it's supposed to be. Brothers don't kill brothers. Wives and husbands don't tear each other apart. We love one another. We live in a place of shalom. And that's what happens at God's table. And I believe that ultimately this is why Paul comes along and says to those Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just after all that division and all that stuff, he's talking about uh, the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He goes immediately in chapter 12, and that's when he says that there's no Jew nor Greek, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave. That when, when we're in here, at the table, this disappears. That was what happened in Chronicles. The people from northern Israel, the people from southern Israel, and the resident aliens who may even be the Samaritans for crying out loud, Maybe those people that the Assyrians have transplanted from way over there in those Caucasus mountains and brought all the way over, because that's what they did. They took those people from over there and brought them over and planted them in northern Israel and invite them to come and sit down and eat, because we're a light. That's what the temple is all about. It's the inclusion, grace that Israel received 
becomes the inclusive message to all God's people to come and be part of his family. That's the missional aspect of Israel's worship right here that it points outward. We're shining God's glory, God's grace back into the world and they're coming and they're sitting down at the table. Yeah, so the, this good God, who is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, this good God, we discover in this text even, is not only the God of Israel. That's right. Doesn't just show grace and mercy to Israel and Judah, but shows grace and mercy to the aliens um, within living within Israel and Judah. Right. And that, you know, uh, that takes us back to the whole story of, of Israel as an alien, right? And being redeemed out of Egypt. And now because you once were aliens, and remember back in the prayer in First Chronicles 29, where David says, you know, who are we? You know, we, we're like aliens. We are just aliens and transients upon the earth. We're aliens. We're strangers. Our identity before God is... A, we're all aliens in that sense, right? In that sense. But it is a grace that belongs to aliens as well. The grace of God isn't just for us. The grace of God is for the aliens too. And that has a lot of implications for how we treat people, mm -hmm. right? And how we relate to people whom we consider others or different or immigrant or illegal we who are we is our identity found in the identity of God <clears throat> and if it's in the identity of God then this identity this God is the God of mercy and grace and the good Lord receives those who seek God whether they're from Judah Israel or alien yeah. 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 and the text literally ends in a most glorious way. Verse 29. And again, I'm just, we, the, the chronicler assumes that we know our, our story. And liturgy helps us learn our story. But the text says, and I'm going to read verse 29, not, yeah, 29. 27, yeah. 27, my bad. I was looking at chapter 29 for... It says, then the priests and the Levites stood up and blessed the people. That's a trainload of information right there. We know exactly what they said. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. And what? And give you peace. Mm -hmm. At the end of the meal... With the northern Israelites there, sitting with the southern Israelites, with the aliens from there and the aliens here, sitting at the table. Now the priests get up and they pronounce the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through 24. And says, may Yahweh, our good Lord, may he bless you. May he what? Keep you. May his, face, his face shine. His presence. His Pour face. down this blessing upon us and give us shalom. Mm. What's then? This is the vision of Eden all over again. And then the text says, the prayer went up to heaven in his holy dwelling, and it was heard. May you, from your holy dwelling because your name you cannot live here your dwelling is there will you hear our prayer and heal your people and the story ends with the priests blessing the people yes god has heard our prayer he is blessing his people he is healing his people he is shining his face, his presence. That's what that is, his presence. And he's given them the greatest of all blessings. Shalom. Shalom. That's the world as it's supposed to be.
because your prayers come up and I've heard it. Just like with Moses. And now God's people have been, in a sense, reborn, mm -hmm. which is what the Passover does every time we take it. We're reconstituted, we're regraced, we're reconfigured, we've gone through the water all over again, we've come out on the other side as a liberated, graced, set free, out of exile, out of the kingdom of death, into the kingdom of light, sat at the table of God, we are in His presence, that's what the story is. And God heals His people. Why don't we conclude? With the blessing, blessing coming from Paul, may the grace of God and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it very much. Thank you.